0: Welcome to the Data Driven Podcast. I'm Dominic Bohan, the host of the Data Driven Podcast here. And today we've got a special episode for you, which is going to be guest hosted by Deidre Downing, who is the Chief Learning Officer at Story IQ. Deidre's got a wealth of experience in education focused on teaching large enterprises the value of data literacy. I'm thrilled to invite Deidre and some of her friends to take the mic and share their knowledge with you, our loyal listeners. Okay. Here's a special data literacy episode of the Data-Driven Podcast, guest hosted by Deidre Downing, the Chief Learning Officer at StoryIQ.
1: Welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast, where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing your data skills, the Data-Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. Yesterday, Ed and I talked about creating a data-driven culture, and today we're going to continue the conversation by discussing key principles of data governance. Here's my conversation with Ed Barker, the data literacy lead at GM Defense. Hey, Ed, great to have you back again.
0: Thank you for having me back.
1: We got to talk a lot about data literacy in our last episode, which is a favorite topic of mine, and it ties in really nicely with data governance. And uh, I know you've got a few examples for us, but before we start off with those, can you just sort of give an overview of data governance and the the elements that we want to consider there?
0: Sure. So, you know, when we're looking at data governance, especially in any organization regardless of the size there are key things and most people when they start thinking data governance they think control and we want to back away from that idea cuz it's really not control right we're trying to help the organization have better data quality right and that better data quality gives us confidence in making data driven decisions and so data governance ties into you know data driven culture ties into and data literacy ties into all of that but you know with data governance we we have there's many different areas that uh, we can focus on. At the current company that I'm at, we want to focus on data quality and data stewardship, and it's relatively new to data governance in the way that the the industry thinks of it. So, you know, focusing on those two and, and not taking into consideration, you know, data lifecycle management or pushing really hard on, you know, a data catalog. These are, you know, this is how we can implement it a little bit easier. But Large perspective data governance. You know there are things that you need to have. Obviously, data quality, your data catalog, data stewardship. You know security is always a, a key thing, and lifecycle management, metadata management, and the list can go on. Right. <laughs> so depending on which which group you you talk to, there's there could be eleven, there could be seven different aspects of data governance. But the key thing is, is that our end goal is getting the business to have confidence in making decisions with data. And data governance that allows us to do that. And it's critical to tie them into this process. And we do that with the data stewardship role, right? So when we can take subject matter experts from various areas and have them have a say right, in what are key business terms or critical business terms that need to be monitored for quality so that they feel confident that their leadership can make a better decision. Now they're part of this process, and that's that's great so data governance is you know again something I could talk about forever but it's it's an amazing opportunity to go and <laughs> move away from this random culture where we you know somehow mystically gathered information that we're, now we're going to report out and this is going to be our financials and I've seen that where the leader who was actually reporting the financials wasn't confident in where the numbers came from. How scary is that? Right? So I, I, I asked the leader at this time, and it's not the company I'm at now, it was an, another client. I'm like, well, how do you stay compliant? Right? You have to tell the government how much you're making, right? And you have to file some type of uh, financials uh, as a corporation. And that's where we need to start as our. Gold standard, right? And work backwards, and you know, from data governance, you know, it gives us this framework where we can we can embark on that. It's a a great opportunity, exciting opportunity.
1: No one wants to uh, present those key numbers with little asterisks next to them, right? Of like, oh, not not totally sure that I commit to these numbers.
0: Exactly. (laughs) There's nothing that will get you an audit faster than than putting the asterisks by a number. (laughs) Say, say, I'm not really sure how we got this, but here you go. (laughs) So.
1: Well, you, you told us earlier that you have an example, and I think it's it's a little bit around data quality. You want to jump into that and how that links to our data governance conversation.
0: Sure. So, you know, everybody's excited about large language models, and uh, everybody wants to be part of that, that success story. And, you know, this is where, again, data governance, data literacy has an impact. For example, at a prior client, the CEO, he was presented about this story of the large language model that they developed in house and they were so excited right because you could ask this large language model anything about the the plant floor systems you know how much resources are we using and it would spit back the right answer you could ask it you know what is our production going to be for today or for this hour for this you know for this minute and it would pro- provide the right answer so high level of confidence in this large language model and the CEO is like It would be amazing if we had this for our procurement organization, which, you know, is, you know, two billion in spend, right? Which is, so it's not small. So him, this individual not having the knowledge about how a large language model actually operates was a little bit of an individual selling somebody that they, I don't know of a good way to, an analogy for it, but it's, um, trying to think of a good way to explain that. He was blind, right? He did not have the literacy, the knowledge to understand that this large language model was based off of data that was generated from sensors. And these sensors, they had a 99% uptime and they produced tremendous amounts of data. And the data was really good. But now if we take this large language model, we put it in over a data set that is hand input by individuals, a lot of typos. Fields being used incorrectly. The large language model is not going to work, right? So that's where data governance comes in. We have to have that data quality. If you're, if you're excited about large language models and you think that they're going to provide a meaningful, you know, innovative value creation, then you have to go back to your data governance. You have to start saying, are we monitoring this data for quality, right? Are we looking at the critical business terms? The, do we have master data in place? Do we know which fields and are good or bad? And this is where our data catalog would come into play, right? By showing us what's good and what's bad. If we had data governance in place for this capability that we wanted to put a large language model over, right, then we would have a little higher degree of confidence because we say, okay, we're going to create a, a data mart that this large language model is going to look at, and it's going to be comprised of all the things that we have confidence in. Anything that's 90% or higher with the Data quality. And again, to get there, you have to have all the parts of data governance, right? The data stewardship has to be in place, the data quality, metadata management, all that has to exist. So um, wildly excited to have large language models. There's a tremendous amount of good that can be taken from them. But if we stay naive to what is behind a large language model, the, the foundation of it, we're gonna be making some really seriously bad decisions. I know there's there's not organizations that are, are like that, but you know, in this situation, going back to the story, the leader was educated on how these things worked and realized that, oh, you know, in this one scenario within the organization, it worked very well. And that's great, because it did provide a lot of value. But it's not something that could be easily replicated across the entire company. And that's again going back to Data literacy. If everybody was literate and understood what a large language model was and how these, you know, simple paradigms work, then he would have had that question, right? And he would have known that okay, I have to have this in place. And it's not a technical concept, right? You don't have to be a person with a computer science degree or a master's in engineering. These are simple concepts to understand, and you—you did <laughs> even go to ChatGPT. And ask, what should I look for when, you know, trying to use a LLM, LLM? And, um, it'll spit it right out. So, but even that you have to be aware of. And this sometimes is almost a genera- generational thing is, you know, at the current client, I, I use chat GPT to do a lot of things, right? To investigate a lot of things, especially governmental compliance and. It's always surprising when people raise their eyes, <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of using that. You know, organizations are constantly pressured to do more with less. And, you know, having the data governance in place allows us to do that. And, you know, it's a little bit of an upfront cost, right? Because you have to get the framework in place, you have to get that established. But long term, once that is running, and the degree of confidence you have in, in making decisions is going to benefit the organization much, much more.
1: And there's a lot at play here when we when you think about data, data governance and all of the components that go in. How do you think organizations can approach the balance of data accessibility? So making sure that people have access and easy access to the data that they need and making sure that we are keeping the quality high and all those data governance components are still follow it.
0: There are, you know, this concept of data catalog and there are many different tools out there that uh, provide data catalogs. You know, we've I've used a couple of them and I have my favorite, <laughs> I won't say it, but you know, it allows that insight, right? We want to democratize the data for individuals to be able to go out and utilize it. Having data just sit inside of a data warehouse or a data mart doesn't do the organization any good, right? It's only value is generated when the individuals have, uh, have access to it and can use it, all right? So, you know, I've seen often that, you know, five years ago, maybe maybe even longer than eight years ago, we would have database administrators, and they had almost a zero-tolerance approach to letting anybody have access to that data. And that paradigm's completely changed nowadays. Now, I believe that open up the data to people that are employed with, in your organization, right? You know, almost a tangent there. It's kind of like the concept that Snowflake is, you know, has, uh, for their, their model, business model. But we want to be able to free up that data. And to do that, people need to know where to look, right? So they need to understand that, yes, I have a data catalog. The entries into this data catalog are put there and validated by a data steward. So when I go and I look at this particular term, I can see that, hey, it has a quality of 99%, right? So I have a high degree of confidence that the the quality of this data is good. And then in addition, if you want to know where it's coming from, and a lot of times this happens when we're looking at dates because you want to use the right date when doing financials, you can look at the data lineage. And these key things, again, there are so many different tools out there that that do this, It depends on your budget. And if you're trying to do it even for free, well, you kind of can. It's just a lot more footwork. So if you're an individual who happens to represent data governance, you can do a lot more with these tools instead of trying to employ a team. So the data catalog is central for data democratization for individuals to get a hold of that data. The other part, and we we don't, it's it's a journey, right? So we want to continuously train people. So if we hear that somebody in operations is looking to get this data, it may benefit us to say, hey. Approach the person, let's create a workshop. And, you know, in this workshop, I'm also going to bring in a data scientist, right? I'm going to bring somebody in from from this other area, and we're going to help you with your idea. This is a great way to acclimate the person to all the different tools that are available, elevate their training, and get them hands-on experience. It also introduces the data scientist to what they're doing, right? Because not every data scientist is completely aware of what every aspect of business is doing. So there's an opportunity for that synergy. And that's where we start to generate a lot of value, right? You know, you you can be surprised if a person goes out and they take a data set and they create value, right? That that's great. That's a a great one-time thing. But you know, going back to the key topic of everything, you know, data governance, data-driven culture. When we start to have clab- you know, collaborative teams, that's when we start driving that culture, right? And we elevate the awareness of data governance.
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly all linked and. Uh... Uh, the approach of ma- bringing, you know, the, the business leader in with a data scientist is so essential, because often, we don't all speak the same language. And so as you said, getting them to collaborate and to really understand where each one is coming from is going to ultimately add a huge amount of value than if they were working in their own silos. And I think going back to our data-driven culture conversation, that's something that I feel like organizations could really benefit from, right? Making sure that we're, we're working in cross-functional teams and getting that better understanding of what we're asking for and how it's used overall in the business.
0: You mentioned data, data silos and, you know, it's, it's always something that we want to be aware and concerned about because there's a reason why these data silos exist, right? Is it human behavior that they, they feel compelled to keep this close to them? If you're going to be a Data driven organization, you have to get rid of the data silos. And there's no better way to do that than take the person who is holding that data close to them in that silo and say, you know what? You're now going to help us. You're going to be the data steward, right? For this. You're not only going to help yourself, but you're going to help the rest of the organization truly understand what's going on here. So involve them into data governance, right? They may not like it, (laughs) but, uh, or they may like it. They may be, you know, excited. They may finally say, Finally, I have an opportunity to tell people what this is, and you know, through the proper tools or whatever tools the organization has. So it's, uh, you know, you got to take a spin a little bit and say, you know, almost almost everything is a an opportunity, as opposed to you know, being something, you know, feared.
1: I mean, I personally can't imagine someone being upset at being asked to be the data stored, but that is, you know, my mindset in that. So I, I
0: <laughs> I've seen it. <laughs> We've had uh, we've had people there like oh I'm so busy I just I just can't I can't do the role of the data steward, but then you start you ask somebody else on their team to do the role of the data steward and they're they're doing it and then in the background this individual's coaching them oh you know you guys can't do that you can't so they're the pseudo <laughs> data steward and they really did have the time but you know for whatever reason you know they they didn't want to take on that task but they're critical so. We used to say at one organization that our data stewards are our data heroes, and we actually worked with marketing or corporate communications to develop a whole campaign around our data heroes. And the response was great because we got more people that wanted to be data stewards, right? Because they're like, "Okay, oh, I want to be a hero," you know, and everybody likes that feeling, right? That you know, feeling of being the hero, the endorphins, right, uh, all that good stuff, and it worked out well. So it's a part of data governance that a lot of people don't remember to do is communication. So if you're going to lead data governance, you also need to be able to lead You develop a marketing plan, develop a communication plan, right? You have to constantly be in the face of your people, your employees, right, about data governance to socialize it. And if you have a corporate communication team, that's great. A lot of companies don't, Right. So, But there's always some aspect that they could use, whether it's an internal like Viva Engage, right? Posting information up there, doing podcasts internally and sending those out. So you just got to be creative. But data governance is good, but it still has to be socialized. And a lot of times in data governance, we put a very technical person in, in charge. And for some reason, they don't want to do the social aspect of it, right? But it is needed. So maybe, you know, this person has to just be coached to talk to corporate communications or aligned with a person that is comfortable doing doing that part. But it is still a very important part. Communication and training is often kind of the last thing people think about when they think about data governance, but it is, it's critical to the success of it.
1: Well, just like we can't have our data in silos, we can't have our data governance in silos either. So spreading that throughout the organization, super important with data-driven culture, and also making sure that you can trust your data and where it's coming from and what it's telling you. Thank you so much, Ed. I think this is a great place to wrap up for our episode here on data governance. You've given us a lot to think about. And so thanks again to Ed Barker, the data literacy lead at GM Defense for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with Ed, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit his company website at grossventure.com. That's G-R-O-S-S-E-V-E-N-T-U-R-E.com. Thanks again, Ed. Thank you. Thanks again to Ed Barker, the data literacy lead at GM Defense for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Ed, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit his company website at grossventure.com. That's grossventure with an E dot com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, head over to datadrivenpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. Of course, you can always reach me just submit an inquiry at storyiq.com. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data-driven brilliance in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, remember that when it comes to data, less is more.